You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. Are you ready for this? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Father, as we come around the word this morning, we acknowledge the presence of the great and living God in this place, inside each and every person. When we came together, just two people, church happened. But now with the gathering of many bodies in this room, we ask, Lord God, for your spirit to be released and that your spirit of wisdom and revelation would help us to understand this word, that that thing we need, to change our lives, would be planted deep into our heart. I pray, Father God, help me to preach this word. Let me not get in the way of what you want to say. But I pray, soften hearts to receive this word and prepare us this morning. We want you. We want your words of life. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. So let's read together. The, uh, can I just say from the onset, I'm going to preach a word that's not an easy one. Maybe it's better we have a smaller group. There'll be less stones to throw. I might survive it. But we, we often preach a cheap gospel. You know, you, you get into a big church mentality. And uh, I, I remember the pressures of, you know, you have to be careful what you preach. You can't preach the stuff that makes people uncomfortable. You should speak to their emotions. And, and, and the next thing I know, I'm an inspirational preacher, which is great. But if it's not changing a life, if the Holy Spirit isn't convicting you, I'm not preaching the full gospel. I know some of the things I preach you may not agree 100% with, and that's okay. I would rather you seek the word out like the Bereans do. Use your Bible. That's what I'm telling you. Bring it with you. Take notes so you can digest it later. And come and see me because I want to help you on your journey and your walk. There are some things that are, cannot be shifted and changed. This is black or white in the kingdom. But there are some other things, you know, the gray areas. Come and talk to me about them, okay? But there are some things that I, I love to talk about. I, I feel I have to because I want to be faithful in bringing the word. So some of the stuff I'm going to share, I, I know it's going to get some heckles up, but come and talk to me, okay? But try and receive the word for the first time as if you're hearing it for the first time ever. Are you ready for it? <laughs> They're looking at me already. What are we getting ourselves into? All right, follow with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, reading from verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. I want you to underline that. You should be sanctified. If you've got a smart device, highlight those words. You should be sanctified. We don't talk about that word sanctified. And we live unsanctified lives in the church because we haven't done our job as leaders to tell you about this. And I feel in the Holy Spirit, I have to share this with you. You should be sanctified. There are different areas of sanctification, and this is not all of them. But when Paul wrote this to the church in Thessalonica, it was specific to these things. And many of you will relate to some of the things that he highlights. What should you be sanctified from? And I will explain what the word means in a moment. That you should avoid sexual immorality. It is, Paul decided not to go to the one thing. Okay, and I'm mindful of younger audiences as well, young ears. Okay, so we're not, you know, all the ills, you know, when you are doing extramarital things, for those of you that are married, or the singles, you're fooling around doing things, you know, the thought lives that we have. He's covering the whole gamut. We're talking about same sex, we're talking about it all. 
Okay, this is the word of God. So he's saying to be sanctified, you should avoid sexual immorality. Verse 4, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. I know Paul talks about the tongue is a difficult beast to tame. But i got to say the body is equally difficult and the thought life and the words that we speak. I, I had a moment where the Holy Spirit convicted me about a month ago. And I was in the car and I was thinking, oh, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I was just worshiping him in my car, just my, my time with the Lord. I usually have podcasts or I'm praying. If, I, if I've got podcasts, I'm praying in tongues. The Holy Spirit is constantly talking to me. And he spoke to me really clearly. He says, do you really love me? I said, of course I do, Lord. Have you committed your life to me completely? And I said, of course, Lord. <laughs> dumb, dumb answer. But I told him what I know. And then he began to show me and expose the weaknesses in my life. He says, it's not just about the big things. Do not lie. Do not cheat. Do not steal. Honor your father and mother. All these things I've done. I'm just like that, that rich young ruler. I said the same thing. I've done all these things, Father. He says, yes, but you withheld justice. When someone needed help, you weren't always there to help. And I spoke to you. I'm, I, I'm, I was softening your heart. I let you know. And when you could have released a word of kindness that would have built someone up, you withheld it. You didn't do it. See, it's not about always what you do wrong. It's about what you didn't do. And then the things that I did, the, the harsh words, and I thought I was doing it in love, and I, and I examined it later on, I realized it wasn't love at all. I, I meant it to be in love. I wanted to be in love, but I'm so fallible as a man, a, a creation in this planet that I'm bound to sin. So even when I don't want to sin, even when I want to do the right things, I release these things out of my mouth and the Holy Spirit just kept convicting me one thing after another. And pretty soon I realized, I don't know if I love you, Lord. If the measure of my love for you has to be shown in what I do, then I cannot honestly say that I have truly, completely committed my life to you, God. I want to love him. I really want to love him. But my flesh takes over the thoughts of my mind. That It's not necessarily, I'm talking about not just you know, thinking evil thoughts, sexual thoughts. I mean, just being mean. The things that we think, you know, second-guessing people before they had a chance to explain themselves. I've already seen the worst. It's a horrible thing. I know this isn't you at all. You don't think the same thing. You're precious in the Lord's sight. But us human beings, I'm so convicted. I love the Lord. And I, I gotta tell you, this is not about condemnation. It's just a conviction to love Him. I just love Him so much. And it breaks my heart that I had these things when I thought I loved Him. And the Lord begins expressing, explaining to me, Do you really love me? Then why do you do these things? He goes on. He says, You know, your own body, treat it as holy and honorable, control it. And he says, number five, verse five, not in a passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins. We got Christians that talk about there is no hell. If you look at the Greek word and go down to the deeper meaning, it actually doesn't actually mean a real hell. What do you think Jesus was talking about? We're going to read this in a second. I think the end of the verse, it tells us this. Yeah, right here, sorry. The Lord will punish men for all such sins. Ladies, that's referring to you. It's talking about mankind. 
the Lord will punish all of us for such sins as we have already told you and warned you. I did warn you this is going to be a hard word. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. I want you to turn with me now to 1 Peter chapter 1. You may want to keep your, your uh, bookmark on that one, but turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 to 16. This is going to be the central passages that I'm going to preach from, but I'll use some other verses as well. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 to 16. Peter says, But just as he who called you is holy, So be holy in all you do. Not in some of the things you do. Be holy in all you do. Be holy in the movies you watch. Be holy in the things, the music you listen to. Listen to the lyrics. If it says explicit lyrics, it is a warning. It's probably not for the sons and daughters of God to listen to. Move it. I I made the mistake of playing jazz music in my car i've got amazon amazon music so i just put this playlist my daughter comes in the car this is what i just let's play she came in because i was podcasting so she came in i switched to this just to listen to some music and then the next minute she's picking up dad you realize these explicit lyrics explicit lyrics and what I didn't even know she had to shut it down and change it i just asked for jazz music with explicit lyrics But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Old Testament, be holy because I am holy. I want to challenge you with this thought. It's impossible to be holy. Why is God asking us to be holy when it feels like it's so impossible? I feel so removed from the Lord when those thoughts come and I'm, I'm, I'm just dwelling on these things. I'm meditating on the Word of God. I'm thinking, God, I love you. God, I love you. And then He speaks. So a lot of times we're not prepared for God to speak. We're the ones always talking. That's why the journaling and the reading of the Word is so important because for once you're shutting your mouth. And you're letting him do the talking, you're just meditating. But even in a prayer life, we dominate the conversation. How many of you actually stop to listen to what God says when you're praying? It's hard. It's hard. But we have to still our souls and listen to God. Let me ask you another question. I asked the the, the guys in the prayer meeting this morning. Are there some sins that are worse than others? Are there some sins that are worse than others? Some of you are like, well, I don't know how to answer this one. It looks like a trick question from Pastor Paul. Others of you are very clear, no. Some are saying yes. Can I put it to you? James chapter 2 verse 10 says, just write that one down. James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. So I told a little white lie. That's all I do. Sin is sin. So you did the most horrendous, awful thing in your life. Sin is sin. It's all sin to the Lord. When you break one, you've broken them all. 
Recently, I've been preaching the series on worship and talking about sacrificial worship. The Bible instructs us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. But we are seeing in the church today an increase of worldly values and lifestyles that are creeping in. I was listening to Francis Chan talking about preaching on holiness, and he says he went to this large university where he was a guest speaker. And he began hearing some of the conversation around him before he walked into the auditorium. And they're talking about how they were getting drunk just the night before, and they're at this conference, this holy conference. And they're worshiping the Lord. They knew how to worship. The band was amazing. And the church themselves, the, 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 the school themselves are all worshiping the Lord, these uni students. A crazy, almighty praise. But he couldn't get the thought. I wasn't just one or two individuals. He was hearing more and more of them talking about partying, talking about sleeping around, talking about going, to the, going clubbing the night before, getting stone drunk, hooking up with some guys. And so as he went to, to uh, preach, he realized the Holy Spirit was hijacking what he originally intended to preach. And he's, and, and, he's, and he's having this conversation with the Lord like I was doing. Lord, this is a really difficult message. I would really rather not be the one to deliver the message. No, you are my Jonah. You will go to Nineveh. You will preach the gospel, the whole gospel of it all. And so he gets up there and he, and he says to them, is it true? We just had the most incredible worship. I saw you worship. I saw you worship. Your eyes were closed. Some of you were weeping. But is it true that you were out clubbing the night before or this week? Is it true that you're sleeping around? Is it true that you're still getting drunk, but you say you know the Lord? Is it true some of you are doing drugs? And they all begin nodding their heads. Yes, it's true. Where is the holiness? Holiness isn't about a rule. It's not about a law. It's about love. God is saying, do you love me? Will you live for me and not for yourself? That's, that's what it amounts to. See, the message of grace has been so watered down in the church, and I apologize if I've added anything to that, but the message of grace has been woefully misunderstood that we actually think it's a license to sin. Well, Jesus has forgiven us, and there's all abounding grace. The greater the sin, the greater the grace. Yes, it's true, but you don't intentionally go out and sin once you've been redeemed and have a knowledge of the Word of God. Romans chapter 6, uh, verses 1 and 2. Write this one down. Romans 6, verses 1 to 2. I know this is a hard word. Some of you are shutting down on me. Just listen to it for the first time and be gentle with me. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? so that grace may increase. Remember the Bible says where, where uh, sin is great, increases, so does grace increase. So should we sin more so grace increases? That's what he's saying. Paul answers it really clearly in case you're wondering, by no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? I, I want you to appreciate the fullness of what Paul's saying with holiness. Hebrews 10, verse 26 to 27. Write this one down as well. Hebrews 10, 26 to 27. Paul says to the, uh, to the Hebrews, If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, after you've been saved, after you've been reading the word, if you keep on sinning, it says, No sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment 
and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. I told you it wasn't an easy word. But we preach this gospel and it's being misunderstood. And I want before God, the Bible says there's a greater hell reserved for teachers who lead you astray. Can I be one that just does not do that? You can hate me for it. Hope one day you'll thank me for it. You'll love me. There's no, the Bible says if you deliberately keep on sinning after knowing the truth, there's no more sacrifices left. Uh, if you continue in that passage, you'll find the Bible says it's like crucifying Jesus on the cross over and over and over again. God commands us in both the Old and the New Testament, be holy. But it seems impossibly unfair, incredibly, no way we could pass out holiness. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, 14, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We have to be holy. He's saying, I want you to be holy. Put, put the dots together so you can see me. I want you to be holy so I can show myself to you. But your sin of your life that you keep bringing over yourself is covering you so I can't even see you and you can't see me. Paul instructs us, perfect holiness. Okay, perform perfect holiness out of reverence for God. That's in 2 Corinthians 7.1. Oh, sorry, I said perfect. Perfect holiness out of reverence for God. How do you perfect it? But if it says that, in other words, then we may have a form of holiness. We're trying. We, there's a scale, okay? But our job is to perfect it, to keep working at it. Now, we ourselves can't do that. We need the, ho- the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to do that. So how are we going to perfect holiness? To understand this, we need to unpack two key terms. Is everyone okay? All right, still love me? Thank you. We need to unpack two key terms that we don't usually teach on because it's unpopular. Here are the two terms. Write this one down. Justification and sanctification. If you're not writing it down, turn to the person next to you and say justification and sanctification. Go ahead and do that. So some of you know what justification means. You've been to Sunday school. Back in the day, they taught you well. They said justification means just as if I never sinned. That's what justification means. That's how I was taught in Sunday school. But it's actually a bit deeper than that. Would you like to know the technical term? Justification is the imputed righteousness of Christ to unrighteous people. (laughs) What does imputed mean, Pastor? Okay, I'll explain. Imputed righteousness does not mean that I haven't done anything wrong. You have sinned. You have fallen short of the glory of God. It means, imputed righteousness, that when the Father looks at me in judgment, he sees Jesus instead of me. That's what imputed means. It means instead of my rebellion, a Father sees the total obedience of Jesus in you. Instead of seeing the immorality in your life, He sees the purity of Jesus all over you. Instead of mindless craving for things or the vain pursuit of wealth, the Father sees the absolute passion of Jesus for the Father above every other passion. That is what imputed righteousness means. But we often stop there in the salvation process, and that's as much as we've understood. But the salvation process continues 
Justification begins, but sanctification is a process that will take you your entire life. Think about this for a moment. There was a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Some religious leaders wanted to get this woman in trouble, but they also wanted to embarrass Jesus to figure out, you need to own up now. Law of Moses says we stone her. What's your law? Because you talk about this thing, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. So what do you say here, Jesus? And I'm thinking to myself, how did they catch the woman in adultery? Where was the guy who was committing adultery? Can we talk about that too? They caught the woman but not the guy. And then they hold this woman, presumably barely with clothes on. She was caught in the act of adultery, dragged out to Jesus. Can you imagine the embarrassment of this lady already caught out, but now she's barely clothed in front of the public and all these elders and religious leaders are standing around. I've got the beard now. Just stoking their beards thinking, so what do you think we should do, Jesus? Moses says we should stone her. And Jesus goes on to say, he, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't disagree with Moses. Remember, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So he says, he without sin cast the first stone. The Bible goes on to report that the older guys left first. Because the older you lived, the more sins you've committed. Am I preaching the gospel? You've had a lot more time to sin. And then the younger ones left. Until there's nobody left. This woman still barely clothed. Shame all over her face. Jesus just riding on the dirt at the time. He says, woman, where are your accusers? She says, they've all gone. He says, neither do I condemn you. But he didn't finish there. See, that's justification. Okay, done. I have pardoned you. You were caught out in adultery. You should have been stoned. You deserve the death penalty, but I forgive you. Done. Did he stop there? No. He then goes on to say, go and sin no more. That is sanctification. If forgiveness, justification was enough, then it would simply be, you're forgiven. But it doesn't end there. It continues. In Philippians chapter 2, Verse 12. Is everyone okay? I know I'm throwing in some scripture here. Philippians 2.12 says, Continue, the, the second part, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'm going to introduce some scriptures to you that you may not be aware of. Continue, which means you keep going, to work out your salvation. In other words, hang on a second. I, I thought I said the prayer of salvation. The pastor led me in the prayer. I thought it's done deal. I'm saved. Yeah, you've been forgiven. You've been justified. But now you have to work it out through your life. That's what we call sanctification. Now, some will say, what about the, the thief that died on the cross? He wasn't sanctified. No, but he didn't have a life after that. He had in just enough time for justification, and then he died. He had no time for the sanctification process. But sanctification, according to the, the, the dictionary, is the process of being made holy, resulting in a changed lifestyle for the believer. Did you get that? Sanctification is the process. It's not a one-time event. It's the process 
of being made holy, resulting in a changed lifestyle for the believer. How many of you have seen people make a decision for Jesus, but their lives didn't really change? It might have changed that week, but then they went back clubbing. They went back drinking. They went back with the addictions straight away. They went back with the filthy language. They went back to the pornography. It didn't end, but the Bible is showing us it's a process of sanctification that's required. But the motivation for this sanctification is not fear, but love. We don't obey God because we have to. We obey him because we want to. So let me ask you this question. Are both justification and sanctification necessary for salvation? Now you're getting it. Yes. Let me explain. Sanctification, okay, so you're changing your lifestyle. You're doing all these things. You're making sure I don't lie, cheat, steal, all that. Without justification, it's just being religious. And conversely, justification, I've been saved by grace through faith. Without sanctification, no changed life shows a lack of understanding, a lack of appreciation, or a lack of love for God. I was recently talking with a friend who told me, I was so excited, I am that close to coming to church. I've been sharing with this guy for a while. I am that close to coming to church. I just, uh, just want to have a little bit more drinks and <laughs> gamble a little bit. But, you know, just a little bit more and then I'll go to church. See, that shows me a person who doesn't understand justification. He only understands Christianity as sanctification. But you can't be sanctified if you're not justified because you don't know the love of God. Justification, here's the thing, is it's very interesting that when you study this a bit deeper, and I know you haven't heard these things, I'm mindful of time, almost going to wrap it up shortly. The day, in the days of old, the preachers would preach about progressive sanctification. Are you guys okay? This is way, I know this is deep. Progressive sanctification involved two things. These are two terms you may not be aware of. Mortification and vivification. I know, right? Who ever heard of these terms? What does what mortify, mortification sound like? Death, like mortuary? Okay, you got the idea. So basically, mortification is, you know the verse, take up your cross daily and follow me, die to yourself. So mortification is when someone is led to the true knowledge of their sin and they begin to hate it and detest that sin and become so truly displeased with themselves in their heart and confess that they are wretched, that they're wretched and shameful and hopes to change. That's mortification. That's more than just saying, I'm sorry, God. You caught me out. It's deeper than that. It's this conviction. This is bad. I don't want to be like this. Vivification is a comfort produced by faith. When a person ashamed by the consciousness of sin, mortification, struck with the fear of God, cast their eyes on God's goodness and on his mercy, on his grace and salvation to save them. Do you understand that? Hope I've gone too deep with you. Praise the Lord. I'm going to get the team to come up now. The Bible gives us illustrations of a master who had a servant who owed him $1 million. 
And the master said to the servant, you owe me the million dollars, pay it up. And the servant says, master, I can't pay it back. I, I, I don't have the money. I don't know what else to do. He says, well, we'll have, to, we'll have to sell you and your wife and your children into slavery, everything you have. Please, master, forgive me. The master forgave him. But after he left the master's presence, this servant found another servant who owed him $10,000. And he says, pay up the debt you owed me. And the other servant said to him, please, I don't have the money. Uh, you know, I tried to save up, but time, times have been tough. I haven't been able to pay you back. Pay up the money or I'm going to have to sell you and your wife and your children into slavery. Please, sir, forgive me. And he wouldn't do it. Other servants saw what went on and told the master, reported him. And what he did, the master called the servant who had owed a million dollars to him and says, you wicked servant. I forgave you a million dollars and you couldn't even forgive $10,000 from your fellow servant. You wicked thing. And the Bible says he threw him out into everlasting darkness with his weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not a good picture. They, they all serve the same master. Obviously, we're talking about the Lord. But the condition of their heart, a person who's been give, forgiven so much could not forgive little. Tim Keller, the reverend, once spoke about a, an unsaved woman who came to his church recently. And she did not understand justification and sanctification. She thought she had to live a life right first before she could get saved. And when he told her, no, 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 we are saved by grace through faith, justification. He forgave you in all your sin. She says, what? This is her expression. If we are saved by works, then once we've done the things God requires of us, we earn our salvation, and God can't require anything more from me. But if salvation is a gift, if it's free, then I can never pay him back. I owe him everything. That is a process of sanctification. You cannot have one without the other. You're not saved by works. You're justified first. And a true change in the heart begins to change the way that you act. When we stand to our feet as I begin to close this morning. Jesus, help us understand this. Thank you, Lord. Just going to wrap this one with a final verse here. Ephesians 4, verse 28. Paul talks about being sanctified in that passage as well. And he says, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. But it doesn't stop there. So it doesn't mean you just stop stealing. He says, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Your salvation that you've been saved from is meant to be passed on to others. We share this great love, this great grace of God that so changed our lives, that is changing the way we live, that people hardly recognize us. You don't swear anymore. You don't lie anymore. You don't cheat anymore. What's happened? It gives you the platform to share the gospel with others. Why don't we close our eyes this morning as we close. Father, in this holy place, Lord, I ask that you would speak to our hearts. Your word tells us it's your kindness 
that leads us to repentance. Not condemnation, not even conviction. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Father, this morning I pray that a seed was planted in each of our hearts today. That we would be a people transformed and changed and evermore into your likeness and image. I pray that people would begin to notice the change from this date forward. A line could be drawn in the sand and that people would begin to recognize something is different about this person. Something is different about this girl. Something is different about this guy and I want to know why. Father, I pray for your message your gospel to spread and to begin to transform not just our own lives, but the lives of our family, our friends, our workmates, and even our city to the glory of the Father. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Give a hand to the Lord this morning. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at livecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.